0: Welcome to Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show.
1: This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, we check in with John Carpe of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms on the state of civil liberties in Canada. What happened in 2022, and what do we have to look forward to in the next year?
0: The Andrew Lawton Show starts
1: right now. Hello, and welcome to you all. This is Canada's Most Irreverent Talk Show here on True North. The Andrew Lawton Show, as we continue talking about the big picture issues, a way to cap off 2022 and head into 2023. And I think civil liberties has always been an issue in sharp focus, certainly on my show. Uh, But I'd say this past year, there's been a fair bit more to unpack in that regard. We had the Freedom Convoy, we had, of course, the Responding Emergencies Act, and the freezing of various bank accounts, the limitation of protest rights. And in general, I think beyond that, we've seen some people that have continued to face charges and uh, penalties of some kind for COVID infractions or supposed COVID infractions. So uh, even if a lot of the mandates and restrictions are, are by and large gone, that doesn't mean we're out of the woods as far as the consequences of violating some of those restrictions are concerned. So I wanted to do what we did last year and have a check in with John Carpe, who's the president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom which has taken up a lot of these cases and has just grown exponentially in the last couple of years now I should say uh, just in the interest of disclosure I sit on the board of the JCCF now that's not why I'm doing this interview I, I would have done this interview regardless and was planning to regardless I actually just joined the board but I think it's important for you to have that context and understand that I am a supporter of the organization's mandate and work but with that out of the way John Carpe it's great to talk to you sir thanks for coming on today
0: glad to be with you Andrew
1: now, you and I spoke uh, around this time last year in a, a very similar format, and, and the review we had on the state of civil liberties in Canada for 2021 wasn't exactly great. And I, I think the prevailing narrative that you and I talked about and, and that certainly we've both discussed in our respective jobs throughout the year has been that, you know, the COVID era has brought just absolutely unprecedented and continuous challenges against civil liberties in canada and of course this year we have the freedom convoy which is certainly a symbol of hope for a lot of people but also far more in the way of these government crackdowns we had the emergencies act we have ongoing criminal charges against tamara leach and chris barber we've got all of these uh, offenses that uh, pastors are still fighting but this year especially in the last few months it seems like a lot of these things are getting dropped not all but it seems like a lot of these are getting dropped. Do you think we're turning a corner finally?
0: Well, in a way, yes. I mean, obviously, after the trucker convoy, you know, Saskatchewan was the first province to drop its its um, get rid of lockdowns. Followed thereafter by Alberta and then other provinces. Quebec took a long time, but eventually, even Quebec got rid of you know the, the curfews and mandatory mask wearing and and all all of these things. So so that's a very real difference that we are, we don't have our privacy rights violated every day by being forced to provide private confidential medical information to total strangers in order to, you know, go into a restaurant and gym. Um, We've also had the travel mandates uh, lift the mandatory use of the arrive cam um that's gone uh people that have not taken the COVID shot can fly on airplanes so a lot of positive things but uh, still pretty scary when you have a federal government that is entirely unrepentant about uh wrongful invocation of the emergencies act using excessive force to to crush a peaceful protest freezing canadians bank accounts uh, and moving forward uh, with threats to free speech, so you know it, it, it's a mix of uh, of positive and negative that way.
1: I mean, you and I both suffer from the same general pessimism about some of these issues. And I I know it's difficult because both of us have to try to keep hope alive because, you know, obviously there's no point in doing what we do if if there isn't hope. But did you even, with your pessimistic approach about some of these things, and I, I don't mean that as a character judgment, but just in general, you're aware of the problems. Did you imagine at the beginning of this year that we ever would have been in a situation where protesters' bank accounts were being frozen by the government. like, Is that something that you would have even put in your top 100 fears of potential things?
0: Not not this soon. It is is the type of thing that happens in a repressive regime, and Canada is going in the wrong direction uh, in terms of our, our fundamental rights and freedoms so it's the type of thing that you it's like wow this is we we have slid so far so fast uh if you had asked me about it 12 months ago right in december 2021 uh you know would would the government freeze the bank accounts of uh the prime minister's political opponents if the prime minister doesn't like your opinion uh he's gonna invoke the emergencies act and freeze your bank account because you've donated to some group that he doesn't like i i i would have said well you know if we continue in the wrong direction for another two or three years it would get to that well it it got to that in in february bank accounts frozen i mean this is this is like a it's a banana republic with polar bears
1: one of the big dangers I see in the public opinion sphere on this is that there are a lot of people in this country that can't separate their dislike of a particular group or particular person from what they believe the law should be. And and I think the vaccine passports are a great example of this. People that say, well, I'm vaccinated, I don't really respect people who aren't vaccinated, so I don't care if they're denied the right to board a plane. Or with free speech, people that say, you know, I don't like what that person says, so I don't really care if their free speech rights are trampled upon or curbed in some way and with the convoy there was a fair bit of that I think as well you know well you know I didn't like the protest the emergencies act came in the protest was disbanded so I don't really get too bothered by it but there did seem to be from that a a group that emerged in between that was a bit more on that principled side of I may not like the protest but I think this was an overreach and I was wondering if you had a sense of of how large that group was And, and you know whether you believe that, generally speaking, Canadians did respond to the Emergencies Act the way you would have wanted them to?
0: Well, one manifestation of what you just described was that the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, which has been supporting the violation of, of charter rights and freedoms by way of lockdowns for the past you know, two and a half going on three years, or at least maybe not supporting, certainly not opposing uh, in any meaningful way, these massive violations of our, our freedom of association. Yeah, I,
1: I don't think I would say they supported it, but they certainly weren't sounding the alarm about it and, and definitely yeah. not in the way you were. Right, so they, yeah, exactly. So they,
0: and and, and what was interesting is with the uh, Public Order Emergencies Commission, so that, which I, I prefer to call it the, the public inquiry, it's a little bit of a shorthand term, the public inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act the Canadian Civil Liberties Association was present and was uh, concerned about the federal government overreach. So that, to me, shows that, that there's a difference there. That that there, I think that is representative of some Canadians who may have not opposed lockdowns, but when the government uh, so trivially, in such cavalier and completely unnecessary fashion, invoked the Emergencies Act, that for a lot of Canadians, that was that was a bridge too far. And a lot of people did, even if their own bank account was not frozen, there was a bit of a run on the banks, which is apparently why the prime minister changed course, because there were so many banks were getting cleaned out because there's a lineup of people wanting to take their cash out.
1: Yeah, and, and that was interesting as well, and and I don't know how closely you followed, because uh, I know you've got other cases you're you're working on right now, but the day-to-day of the Public Order Emergency Commission, but some of the details about the conversations that Christia Freeland, the finance minister, had with bankers were quite interesting, and, and it was actually quite unfortunate, because you had a couple of the banking CEOs that we saw in meeting minutes were saying, you know, designate these people terrorists. Let us, you know, completely throw the book at them, and there was only one banking CEO on that call that said, hang on, why are we weaponizing banks against people? Maybe what you should actually do is announce a transition out of mandates. And the, it was not made public who that banker was, but I'm like, man, I want to transfer my accounts to that guy's bank.
0: Tyranny requires uh, either the, the support or at least the acquiescence of a lot of people. uh The greatest evils in history take place when there's cooperation, right? Um, mm-hmm. it, it, if you're if you're one person or a small group and you're you're trying to do something evil, you're not going to get very far unless you get a lot of cooperation. And so the, it's, it's tragic and very sinister to see banks that uh, have apparently zero respect for their customers and that are just this totalitarian mindset that it, let's just crush anybody who gets in the way of what the government has deemed to be some important objective. And um, that's just the the biggest task for those of us who who love freedom, the biggest task is the ongoing project of of educating and re-educating Canadians uh, about our rights and freedoms and why the free society is superior to a repressive regime, uh, be it communist, fascist, Nazi, theocratic, Uh, What have you there's there's many different varieties of of repressive regimes, Uh, but their common characteristic is a lack of respect for our fundamental freedoms and human rights.
1: One of the real dangers I saw coming out of the COVID era is that the government was the one that put these mandates and restrictions in place. But in almost all cases, it wasn't the government that was responsible for enforcing, well, enforcing in the broadest sense, but but the day-to-day enforcement of it fell on other people. I mean, for example, vaccine passports were by and large enforced by 16-year-old uh, restaurant hosts and hostesses. And, you know, the vaccine mandate for air travel was being enforced by airlines. And you had uh, all of these different restrictions and mandates were in place that fell on other people, mask mandates. It was the businesses that had to go along with these. And I've always taken the view that I don't personally fault businesses that did what they had to to survive. They were in a very difficult situation. They came out of this, and now the government's saying, we're going to fine you $20,000 or take away your business license if you let unvaccinated people do it. But I, I commend those that took a stand and said, I'm, I'm not going to go along with that. But it was, I think, the real insidious part for me, where government was putting these things in place, but, government, but it fell on other people to turn on each other
0: well we we saw a very uh, unhealthy snitch culture that emerged uh, early on in 2020 uh when the uh kind of the first wave of of lockdown measures we had people you know getting a ticket for sitting on a park bench and we had this uh frightening yellow crime scene tape uh put around playgrounds i mean uh and the snitch lines were alive and well, because there's a dark side to human nature. There are people who um, who, who agree with oppression. They, they think it's good for the government to treat us like sheep, treat us like farm animals and tell us exactly how to live and what to think. Um, there's a book called Escape from Freedom, might be called Flight from Freedom, uh, one of the two. And it's by Eric Frum, F-R-O-M-M. And he wrote in... Uh, Around 1943, and he wrote about the Nazi regime in Germany, and he said there are many Germans that, that, that enthusiastically gave up their rights and freedoms uh, because life can become a little bit easier if somebody else tells you how to live and what to think, and what's important, and uh, how you should live your life, uh, what goals and objectives you should have. So there were a lot of Canadians. They they liked the COVID. Uh, they they liked the lockdowns because it gave them a sense of meaning and purpose. And it was it was Big Brother, you know, alleviating you of your responsibility to have to think about what is actually important in life. The government's going to tell you the important thing is that we put all of our time, effort, and energy into uh, you know this 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 quest to stop the spread of a virus. Uh, and no matter how much it costs, no matter how much harm is inflicted, so, so some people like that. They 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 want uh, they want somebody else to uh, to do their thinking for them.
1: Yeah, and and that was the real danger, and that's the part that I think will I fear outlive COVID. It's a situation in which we've basically just abdicated some of the most fundamental decisions in our lives. I mean, something as fundamental as what we put into our body to the government. And, and when you do that, you're licensing the government to make a heck of a lot of other decisions for you. And I mean, for the longest time, my hill to die on has always been free speech. And, you know, that was the issue. And I, I think that a lot of these things are connected because again, when you're talking about free speech, the question is, do I think I should be responsible for determining the limits of my speech? Or do I think government should? And there are a lot of people completely willing to give that up.
0: It goes back to to Mr. Frum's book uh, that you know not everybody uh, loves and and cherishes freedom and I, I think our rights and freedoms are are safe only to the extent that they are understood by Canadians in our minds and cherished in our hearts and apart from that uh, no court no judge no charter no constitution is going to um, is going to save you. The, the, I'm sure you've heard the old saying I don't know who came up with it but the uh the price of liberty is eternal vigilance so we always have to be vigilant and um it, i i think i think the the last two and a half years have, have exposed how far we've declined in our uh, appreciation of uh of the free society
1: yeah and i i also think that a big dimension here is what do you what does your car do when you take the hands off the steering wheel metaphorically? Does it drift a little left? Does it drift a little right? Do you keep going? and and the the neutral direction that society seems to be headed is one that is towards less freedom. i think if if people that stand up for freedom stop doing so, it's going to continue, they're going to continue to lose. So the left has that advantage that just the natural order of things seem to shift in its direction. And the corollary to that is that conservatives are always swimming upstream. And, and when we stop swimming, we, we just get right back to where we started. And it's exhausting. And, and you know, I, I know you are on the front lines of this in the legal sense, and, and your team is just growing and growing and growing. And it's, you know, you, you put out one fire, and in the time that it's taken you to do that, three more have popped up somewhere else.
0: I don't, I think there's been a big realignment uh, that the traditional left-right thing has has broken down to some extent. I, a few months ago, I had lunch with um, a lawyer who's based in Vancouver, who has done uh, lots of labor law, lots of human rights law. And very progressive, uh, probably voted NDP all of her life. I didn't ask, but just kind of reading between the lines. Yeah, you got
1: that sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she was so
0: disappointed in her colleagues not standing up for fundamental human rights, like this basic idea that you know we're we're not going to get terrorized by by false information. Uh, that the government's putting out, and when I say false information, just this whole notion that COVID is as dangerous as the Spanish flu of 1918, which is not true, Uh, that there are no treatments for COVID other than lockdowns and and vaccines, which is not true, Uh, that the vaccine is effective, which I think, you know, when when people left, right, and center are getting sick with COVID, uh, there's limits to how effective these these vaccines are, Uh, that the vaccines are safe, when there is no long-term safety data, uh, that, that lockdowns are wonderful and uh, not causing much harm, all of these government lies were the pretext for taking away fundamental rights and freedoms. So this this left-wing lawyer that maybe three years ago, she and I, our paths would not have crossed, because I'm you know big on the charter freedom, smaller government, uh, you know, and she's you know, for big government but she's passionate about how we need to win back these rights and freedoms that we've lost and she's very disappointed in her uh, human rights lawyers labor lawyers all of these people that she's associated with for decades she's very disappointed in them and she's she and i are sitting down for coffee together and we're on the same side we want our rights and freedoms back so there's been there's been a realignment, and certainly you've seen uh, governments that with a so-called conservative name, uh, especially in Quebec, right? The um, Coalition Avenir Quebec is is supposedly a conservative party, right? Not a left-wing yeah. party. And Quebec had the worst lockdown restrictions in Canada. So yeah, just just a bit of a, a twist or a spin on that that the Left-wing versus conservative is kind of, uh, it's still there, but it, it's, it's in the background a bit, I think, because there's lots of people who would call themselves left-wing that mm-hmm. are against totally against the tyranny that we've experienced in the last uh, two and a half years. And there's lots of right-wing people that have been enthusiastic cheerleaders for all of these human rights violations.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there is that old sort of observation that the political spectrum is not a straight line. And I think you also have to work in some things like authoritarianism. And I, I don't even mean that in a style of government, but as a personality trait. And and there are people on the left and the right that have that authoritarian impulse and, and uh, as you know, the flip side of that, people on the left and right who don't. And I, I think that that was a, a big part of why there's been this coalescing between libertarians and social conservatives in the last couple of years, because, you know, you had a lot of these libertarians who may or may not be uh, particularly religious that are saying, yeah, you know what, I, I support your right to keep your church open. And then you had a lot of, you know, supposedly religious, you know, traditionalist law and order conservatives that said, we're going to shut down your church. And uh, I think Danielle Smith is a great example of this. She's not a social conservative, but I think a lot of social conservatives have found a lot more in common with her on the question of liberty than they have with Jason Kenney, who is uh, demonstrably a social conservative in in uh, many of his statements, but that wasn't how people felt his government was behaving.
0: Yeah. Well, Daniel Smith has uh, spoken out against human rights abuses uh, a lot more than uh say, the Catholic bishops in Alberta, they were pretty much silent when we were being degraded and dehumanized by having to re- reveal personal, private, confidential medical information to total strangers, uh, becoming second-class citizens uh, for uh, for anybody not getting this, this vaccine for which there's no long-term safety data. And, uh, you know, with few exceptions, most churches cooperated with this. And then we have somebody who's, as you say, quite accurately not a social conservative is saying hey this is uh, this is not right she said these are the worst human rights abuses that she has seen in her lifetime and I think that that's uh that's entirely true I mean you'd have to go back uh quite a few decades uh to uh to to to, to, to see this kind of abuse even even the battles that were fought in the 50s and 60s and 70s uh where you know for for women, for visible minorities, for LGBTQ, uh, th- this whole notion of, of equality, and we have human rights uh, legislation to protect these groups from from discrimination. Uh, when was there a time in Canadian history when you had to, uh, uh, because of your skin color or your gender or your sexual orientation, you were barred from Restaurants and 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 gyms and participating fully in society, you'd have to go back a long ways in time to come up with actual real examples of that. And here, uh, just within within the past 12 months, uh, people were subjected to to that kind of. Uh, degradation. And that was everybody, by the way. It wasn't just people that didn't get this COVID vaccine. If you did get the COVID vaccine, you also had to be subjected to telling some you know, 16-year-old hostess at a restaurant uh, personal private medical information. It, it's absolutely outrageous. And one of the things the Justice Center is going to keep on doing is we're not going to forget about this because it's incredibly dangerous. There's some people that say, well, I don't want to talk about it. You know, it's, it's over and done with. Well, maybe you don't want to talk about it, but if we don't talk about it and think our way through as to uh, how we went wrong and why and where, we're gonna repeat exactly the same errors. And we're gonna have a situation in 2023 where the government comes up with something else that's scary, maybe uh, maybe another virus, maybe something other than a virus. And the government's gonna go, oh, look, here's this really scary thing. So give up give up all your rights and freedoms so that we can protect you from this scary thing. And that is the narrative that we have to uh, watch out for and get rid of.
1: We know that, you know, it takes time to navigate through the justice system. So as I understand it, there has not been uh, any Supreme Court of Canada ruling on a lot of these COVID mandates. Do I understand that correctly?
0: Yes, although the Chief Justice, unfortunately, has made it very clear publicly uh, where he stands on vaccines, having announced proudly that, that he and his colleagues and all the Supreme Court staff are vaccinated. Um, and he also spoke inappropriately uh, against the uh, peaceful protests in Ottawa in February. By oh, I saying remember that, that, yeah. By saying they caused chaos. Well, he's entitled to his opinion, but as a judge, you should not be making those kinds of pronouncements uh, ahead of time when it's very, it's quite possible that the Supreme Court will have before it the Justice Center's court action that we filed in February uh, seeking a declaration that the Prime Minister had no legal basis for declaring a national emergency. That's a court action that's now in federal court trial division. It's very likely to go to the Court of Appeal because whoever loses, whether that's us or the government, uh, is going to, you know, appeal it to the Court of Appeal. After that, it, it could go to the Supreme Court of Canada. So, um, but, but you're, you are correct. There have not been any Supreme Court of Canada rulings uh, directly on uh, lockdowns or mandatory vaccination policies
1: are, are, are we expecting that this year or is it still perhaps a couple years out to get some of these bigger cases up to that point? I know this past year, of course, there was the vaccine mandate trial, which the, the federal court had unfortunately determined was moot, despite the government's own language saying it was uh, just a, a temporary suspension. But are you expecting that this year on, on some of your bigger cases?
0: I think it'll be another year or two before anything goes into the Supreme Court of Canada, just the just the trial division or the, the first, the, the first court that you go into the litigation, typically, you're lucky to get a judgment in less than two years, um, you know, and 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 three or four years is not uncommon when you've got all the procedural steps. This, by the way, this is a serious problem in Canada that, that governments mm-hmm. need to correct. We need more judges and more courtrooms. The reason we have this sort of permanent backlog, the reason it takes years instead of months to have your court case heard and get a ruling is because we don't have enough judges. Uh, and, and secondarily, we, I don't know if we have enough courtrooms or not, uh, but we, we don't have enough judges in Canada, and, and it's it's a disgrace and it's a shame because it should take months, not years, uh, whatever your, whether it's a criminal law thing or family law or constitutional law or civil litigation, you know, somebody cheated you out of a thousand dollars in a contract, whatever the court action is, we should be able to get a decision, even a decision you might not like, but at least there's resolution, right? We should be able to get a decision in months, not years. And so that's, that's a big problem that, 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 that the, uh, the federal government primarily, but the provinces as well need to fix.
1: What are either on specific cases or even just in general policy discussions that are coming up, uh, what is it you're looking out for in the year ahead? I know in February, we're going to have the report from the Public Order Emergency Commission. And as I've said to listeners, I, I think you need to lower expectations. Not that the decision that he releases, the commissioner will, will be a good one. It may or it may not. But even if it is just this scathing indictment of the government, it doesn't actually on its own come along with any action or consequence. So uh, that will fall on politicians and, and by extension Canadians to determine. But is there anything else that you have that's on your radar for the coming year?
0: Well, we're hopeful that um, the dismissal of Brian Peckford's court action is going to be reversed. Uh, we think it's absurd that government should be able to turn our rights and freedoms on and off like a light switch, you know, on, off, on, off and turn off our freedoms. And then when a government gets sued and litigation is not going very good for the government, uh, which is what happened in Brian Peckford's case, we had government officials admitting under oath that there was no medical or scientific basis for banning unvaccinated Canadians from airplanes. That was thanks to the Justice Center's court action, this becomes public. And um, so we're, we're hoping that the Federal Court of Appeal will reverse that decision because certainly these uh, violations of their millions of Canadians had their mobility rights taken away uh, that are in in Charter Section six, the right to enter and leave Canada freely, the right to travel within Canada, uh, those rights are violated on a massive scale. So we're we're hoping for a reversal, and um, uh, that that Mr. Mr. Peckford is going to get a ruling, hopefully a favorable one, but at least get a ruling that he deserves.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that was the particularly. I, I've said on the show time and time again, and if I've said it to you, please, uh, I beg your pardon on it. But, you know, the mootness thing has always bothered me because government will use this, get a court action off the table, and then repeat the identical behavior later on. I mean, in a, a personal example in, in my case is in 2019 when we had uh, the JCCF representing uh, True North, uh, and uh, there was also Rebel in that case on the Leaders' Debates Commission, and our exclusion from the debate. It, we're trying to get a ruling on the record after the election was over because we won the injunction. And then the government says, no, 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 it's moot. The federal court agrees. And then the same thing happens in the 2021 election with a bunch of rebel reporters. They're denied. And, and the vaccine passport for air travel, same thing. This is a case where the government by its own language could be bringing this back. But still they say, oh, no, 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 it's moot. It's academic. No point going through it. And, and a court buys into it.
0: It's tragic. On By the way, in the in the 2021 election, uh, did the rebel apply for uh, go to court to get themselves back into status or standing? And, and were they? Yeah, successful? they got an
1: injunction and they were able to go in. And I, I don't I don't recall what happened after that. I think they've tried to proceed with the case, but I, I'm not aware of a trial or anything. OK,
0: well, you know, I, I wish them well and I hope that they can refer to uh, the, the other cases to show like that, that yeah, for, for elections, I mean, just because the election's over does not mean that the government should not be held to account for excluding media that it dislikes, you know, media that are not government funded. <laughs> it's just, it's, uh, it, it's outrageous.
1: It is. And I mean, we have obviously organizations like the JCCF that are on the front lines of this, as I said. And I, I mean, the, 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 the laughable part of this is that I am, speaking for you here, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure you would love to have no work. I'm sure you would love to be able to say, mission accomplished, no need for the Justice Center.
0: I get asked sometimes, you know, John, you must be really happy with the growth of the Justice Center the last two and a half years. And my response is always, well, I mean, sure, I guess. However, why has the Justice Center grown? Because governments have been so disrespectful of our fundamental charter rights and freedoms, that we've had adequate funding to expand the number of lawyers and um, uh, so on and so forth, but I, I think I think it's important to be engaged in in the battle. It's it's um, you can't win them all. Uh, we've had a lot of success with our ticket cases. Uh, there have been in British Columbia, uh, in every province in Canada, we've seen the crown back away from. Uh, tickets that people you know, got a $5,000 ticket for not using a Rivecan app or uh, the you know, $2,000 ticket for peacefully protesting outdoors, uh, all, all these tickets being withdrawn because we're in court every day. We're challenging the Crown and we're saying to the Crown, if you want to proceed to trial, we're going to subpoena the chief medical officer to come into court and justify the health
1: orders. This is so difficult because you know a lot of the people that i've met in this country get they they get so sucked into this idea of you know they are concerned about covid they support the vaccine all of that's absolutely fine but you should be able to at the same time hold those beliefs and stand up for civil liberties and are you finding that when you talk to people when you go out that that you're able to to make that case
0: i mean yes and no you know this gets back to an earlier point about and it's a, it, it, it's so true that that people have a tendency to to be short-sighted, look only at their own um, look only at, at at their own personal rights rights and freedoms, and not think through the implication. I'll give you an example. There's this uh, social conservative activist that you've probably heard of named Bill Watcott. and I remember vividly about ten years ago he was on a university campus. And he was handing, he hands out these these tracts and flyers. And he says that, you know, gay sex causes these different diseases. And he's got photos of various human body parts and what the diseases do to the body parts. Very offensive flyers. So he was handcuffed uh, and, and put into a car because he refused to leave campus. And as he's being led away in handcuffs and being put into a police car to be escorted off campus, there's a group of students watching, and they cheered, and they applauded, I thought, don't you get it? If if the authorities have the power to uh, handcuff somebody and, and force them and move them off of a university campus, because his speech is disliked and unpopular, if the authorities have that power, do you not realize that, you know, 30 years from now, 10 years from now, or tomorrow morning, if you have an opinion that is not popular, the authorities have then evidently can handcuff you and escort you off campus uh, because you're expressing an unpopular view. Uh, It's the same thing with firearms ownership. Uh, I'm not a firearms owner, but I think it's absolutely frightening that the government would attack a legitimate hobby that many Canadians pursue. They pursue it safely uh the law-abiding uh, firearms owners that millions of canadians are pose no threat no danger and you got this government crackdown to confiscate their their property in some cases even without compensation and now a lot of people will i'm not a firearms owner i don't care well if the government can confiscate somebody else's private property that they have purchased a legal product in good faith with their money uh they are enjoying that that product that item they're enjoying their hobby. It is safe. It doesn't endanger anybody, and and the government's going to uh, you know take away their hobby that that uh, their, their interest, their pastime, their activity. And and by the way, for some for some firearms owners, like for farmers, it's a necessity. If you've got a a, a cow that's crippled yeah. because if she fell into the ditch or something, you want to have a gun available to put the cow out of her misery uh, immediately. Okay, so there's there's real life examples, and 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 in, in parts of Canada, you, you need a gun to defend yourself against uh, a bear or or some other animal that might attack you, uh, or a rural Canadians where it takes forty five minutes for the police to show up because you're in some far off acreage, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it, it's also a serious need, uh, but for most people, it's a hobby. But if if the government can uh, Take away somebody else's private property and prevent them from engaging in a, a safe, peaceful hobby. Well, the government can also do that to you. So, this is part of the, the ongoing educational thing that like you have to stand up for the speech that you don't like, for the hobbies that you don't like, uh, for the associations that you don't like, for the uh, religious beliefs that you don't like. That, 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 that's the key to to, uh, to defending the free society.
1: Yeah, and as, as Mark Stein has said, you don't need protections for speech that everyone enjoys because there's no threat of censoring it. You need free speech for the speech that you deplore. And I, I think that dovetails nicely on what you said, which is a great point to end on and hopefully something that can give people a little bit of hope and encouragement as we head into the new year. John Carpe, president of the JCCF, thanks so much for your time as always, John. Keep up the great work.
0: Thanks, Andrew. Have a great day.
1: That does it for me, and as I said at the beginning, just so no one is uh, thinking there's any funny business, I want to disclose, yes, I am on the board of the JCCF, although I should say I invited John to do this interview before I was on the board. I don't think that's why they put me on the board. I'm just saying that it's uh, an organization that I have covered a lot and will continue to, although always with that uh, little disclosure there. Uh, We have to wrap up there. My thanks to all of you for tuning in to this program. Back tomorrow with another edition, and then that's it for the year. I know it has just flown by. Hope you all have a great day, though. Thank you. God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show.